Welcome to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata. Each week, we interview top experts in physical therapy, pain science, and integrative pain care. You'll learn the most up-to-date information for treating and reversing persistent pain. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Tata. Hey there, thanks for tuning in and joining me this week. Today, we've got an episode that is full of some very good news that I can't wait to share with you. When I first started this podcast over two years ago, the CDC had just released information about the opioid crisis, as well as the overprescribing of opioids and its contribution to addiction, abuse, and of course, fatalities. Since then, the CDC guidelines have been pushing toward early non-drug or what is known as non-pharmacologic treatment options for patients with pain we are definitely making some progress. Along with these guidelines, there's a huge opportunity for physical therapists to help people who are struggling with chronic pain. One way we can do this is to intervene quickly and early in the care of people with pain. I spoke about this a bit in episode number 133 with Dr. Marsha Spoto, who discussed physical therapists as primary spine care providers. I'll include that link in today's show notes. On today's episode, we'll explore how the research is supporting early physical therapy for people with pain. A recent study conducted by today's guest, Dr. Eric Sun, found that patients who receive early physical therapy within the first 90 days use less opioids for pain. Eric is an assistant professor of anesthesiology, pain medicine, and health and research policy at Stanford University Medical Center in California. He spends part of his time working as an anesthesiologist and part of his time as an epidemiologist crunching numbers and big data on important topics such as today's. Eric is here today to discuss his paper called The Association of Early Physical Therapy with Long-Term Opioid Use Among Opioid-Naive Patients with Musculoskeletal Pain. I'll link to the paper in the show notes so you can access it. It was published in 2018 in the Journal of the American Medical Association. I know you're going to enjoy today's show Make sure before you listen to this episode to hop on over to the Integrative Pain Science Institute.com forward slash podcast. On the right-hand side of the page, you'll see a box where you can subscribe to the Healing Pain Podcast so I can send you a new podcast to your inbox each and every week. Okay, let's begin with Dr. Eric Sun and learn about how early physical therapy can lead to less opioid use. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here this week. Oh, well, thanks for having me on. Eric, you did a great paper Back in 2018, it was published in the journal American Medical Association. It's called The Association of Early Physical Therapy with Long-Term Opioid Use Among Opioid-Naive Patients with Musculoskeletal Pain. So we'll link to it, but I want to have you on because it's a really important paper, of course, talking about the topic of opioids and physical therapy. Tell us first a little bit about your practice and what you do. You kind of wear two different hats. Yeah, well, uh, I do wear two different hats. So uh, I uh, train as both an economist and as a physician. So currently, I spend a little bit of my time taking care of patients. So one day a week, I take care of patients uh, in the operating room. So I'm, I'm not a pain physician. I, I take care, I'm an operating room anesthesiologist. And I do that uh, you know, about one day a week. And the rest of the time, I'm doing sort of epidemiology and economics research, mostly centered around pain and opioids. So, of course, I would think your training in economics is coming in real handy right now with regard to the opioid epidemic and is informing a lot of the research that you're doing. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of the, the stuff I bring from economics is sort of, I think, first of all, just knowledge of these sorts of data sets. You know, I know they exist. I know how to use them. 
a lot of the statistical tools from economics I bring in, so that's part of it. Um, yeah, so I think those have been very helpful. So tell us about what the aim of this particular study was. Yeah, well, the goal of the study was to see if uh, the receipt of early physical therapy could reduce opioid use uh, longer term for patients with uh, who developed uh, musculoskeletal pain, uh, sort of in the areas you specify, knee, back, shoulder, and neck. And uh, basically, uh, you know, I, I think most people know there's sort of a concern about opioid use in the U.S. and opioid crisis. And so our question was for people with this, with newly developed musculoskeletal pain, you know, is early physical therapy, you know, a potential way of addressing this crisis? Can it reduce the risk that people will go on to longer term opioid use? And you had some great collaborators on this as well. We've had some of them on our podcast, some physical therapists were on the paper as well, right? Uh, that's correct. I think the physical therapist, uh, the senior author, Stephen George, and then I think it's Adam Good, and sorry, Chad Cook and Adam Good. From uh, who work with Stephen as well. Yeah, so great PTs from Duke that do research into into pain. So tell us what type of study this was, and use the term opioid naive in the title, which is interesting. Maybe right. you can explain what that is and how that helped inform the study. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it's sort of the reason why we focus on opioid naive patients. I think first of all, it's sort of uh, it's a lot of the people who get musculoskeletal pain, um, and also sort of. There's, it's easy to make a statement in that case. I mean, so opioid patients in this study was defined as people who didn't use any opioid in the year before they had their sort of musculoskeletal pain, so had not been exposed to opioids. So someone like that, sort of if after the opioid pain, if sort of after they get the pain, they're on opioids long-term, you can say that's definitely a change because before they weren't on opioids, and, you know, now they are, right? So that's a very... Uh, that's a very real change. Um, you know, we're, we are working on looking at people who weren't opioid naive. Um, so in other words, people who were taking opioids for whatever reason coming before in the year before their um, pain, before the musculoskeletal pain occurred. Um, you know, it's a little bit more challenging in that case just because sort of what's a change, right? So if you were sort of using the average 10 MMEs before this musculoskeletal pain and now you're using 12, you know, is that a change? And now you're using eight, is that a change? So that what makes that a little bit harder. You have to think about what the change is. Yeah. The nice thing about this study and the reason why we chose it is because here it's pretty clear, right? You weren't using them before, now you are. So that's a change. And it's a pretty large study. How many people did you look at it in this particular study? I think it's around 80,000 people. The study is based, it's a retrospective study, uh, and it's based around insurance claims data. And so that's how they identify all these things. So you know, I think a lot of us, you know, when you fill, when, when, when a healthcare provider provides care, they have to fill out a claim, submit it to the insurance company in order for everyone to get paid. And that will typically include things like diagnosis codes. So that's how we can identify that you sort of came to a physician with a complaint of musculoskeletal pain. And then crucially, you know, in the case of drugs, when you fill out, obviously, anytime you go to the pharmacy, the pharmacy is submitting a claim. And the nice thing about these data sets is obviously a lot of people provide insurance, so they can be quite large. So our sample is, as you mentioned, pretty large, around 90,000 patients. And in the study, you looked at um, single-site pain. You looked at a couple of different... Uh, first, I guess, why single-site pain versus potentially someone with fibromyalgia has more global right. multi-site pain. But what were the sites you also looked at in the study? Well, for this study, we looked at uh, neck, back, uh, knee, and uh, shoulder. We chose those just because that's where most pain occurs. Um, when it comes to multi-site pain, you know, again, it, our thought was just that it's a little bit easier to talk about each one sort of each one sort of individually and again just you know again this, these are things we want to work on down the line but some issues you might have the multi-site pain are i guess it would just you know if a person you know comes in today and says they need pain and tomorrow they have back pain 
or let's say they come in next year, they say they have back pain. How do you sort of characterize all that in terms of what's going on? It's a little bit harder, right? Whereas it's just very clean in some sense. A guy came in today and says his knee pain, and that's the only pain he kind of says he has for the next few months. So I think a lot of us just on making things analytically simple. Um, I think definitely multi-site pain. As you mentioned, people who used opioids beforehand, which we didn't look at in the studies, are different things we're working on. So these are patients that either showed up at the emergency room or potentially their primary care provider that had pain? That's correct. I mean, uh, we wanted, yeah, exactly. Someone who came in and said, I've got pain. Exactly. That's what we were looking at. And then I guess, how was early physical therapy defined? Because as most PTs know, sometimes it can take a while before a patient shows up to physical therapy from the ER, from seeing their primary care physician. How did you guys define that early physical therapy? Yeah, for sure. Well, the baseline definition, I believe, was early physical therapy within 90 days. So in other words, from the day you came in and saw the doctor, did you get physical therapy within 90 days of that? I think we also did look at within 30 days. um, And I think the results are generally fairly similar. Yeah. 30 days is is good. I'd like to see everyone in (laughs) 30 days or before. So tell us about some of the results that you came across. I know there's a couple different interesting findings in the paper from the research. Yeah. So basically what we, we asked ourselves two questions. So what we do is we said, you know, you have this episode of uh, musculoskeletal pain, you know, so what happens sort of, if we just kind of ignore the first 90 days after that, that's kind of short term, what happens in the sort of subsequent to that? So if you will, post-operative event days, 90 to 365. And we said, um, you know, A, did you fill an opioid prescription during that time? And if you did, uh, how much did you fill? And what we wanted to see is, you know, people with who got early PT, so PT within those first 90 days, did it reduce the opioid use later on? So in particular, did it reduce, did it increase the, or the, maybe the was, did it increase the probability that um, you would feel no opioid long term, right? But then if you did feel opioid, did you use less? And, you know, I would say more or less the finding of the studies that we found effects across the, the, I mean, not for all the pain categories, but most of them. And what we found is basically for all the pain cat, for all the pain sites, early physical therapy was associated with a, uh, I guess you could say a 10% increase in the probability of remaining opioid free long term. I think that's, um, that's what we found. And then uh, for most of the pain sites, you know, for people who did use opioid, we found during that time long term. Uh, we found that it was associated with a 10% reduction in the amount used, 5 to 10% reduction. So we found that physical therapy was associated overall with reductions in opioid use long-term. Yeah. And the one, so out of those four groups, so you looked at neck and back and shoulder and knee, the one group that didn't show such great results was the neck um, right. category. And you talked about things like whiplash being, it doesn't respond well to, necess- doesn't necessarily respond well to physical therapy and other interventions. And so that that was one group that didn't do so well, but the rest of them, you know, there's good evidence that early physical therapy can help with opioid use long term. Right. Yeah. And that's what we found. So I think, you know, the bottom line is that it does seem to be associated with, you know, less using less opioid in the longer term, which is, I think, what what most of us would want, right? So, How does this study help inform, let's say, the application of the American College of Physicians or the Centers for Disease Control? with regard to prevention guidelines and the management of pain? Yeah, well, I think it just provides, you know, more evidence sort of for, you know, the use of non-opioid. I mean, you know, I think, you know, both guidelines, would, but, you know, here we're looking at something that's not an opioid, it's not a drug either way. And so what we're saying is, you know, yeah, these things, I mean, we're providing a little bit of evidence that these things are very helpful. And what's the feedback you've gotten, I guess, from PTs? I'm assuming it's positive. What about from maybe the medical community and the prescribers? 
or it falls yeah. your work? Uh, I think in general, it's been fairly positive. I mean, I think, you know, just in general, there, this is an issue that's of concern to a lot of people. Um, I think, you know, for the most part, physical therapy is certainly, you know, fairly benign as things go, I think, uh, you know, not so much downside, right? And so I think from a lot of people, it's been, well, there's, you know, evidence of some upside, very little downside. You know, this should be something we do more of, I think, is the general feedback. And you mentioned you have a, a follow-up study to this or a similar study. Yeah, so we're trying to extend the study along sort of the two dimensions you mentioned. So one is uh, looking at multi-site pain. Um, and again, there, that, that's probably more challenging one that we have to think about, uh, how we set that up analytically, but, uh, we're also, you know, wanting to look at sort of, you know, for people who were using opioid beforehand, looking at those people. So those are the two follow-on studies to that. And so you have one kind of going can you share any, any sneak peek? Ah, uh, no, they're both, they're both early in. I wish I could. <laughs> they're both early in, quite honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From a, from a, I hope is maybe end of the year we have something to Hmm, okay, good. We'll have to have you back on to discuss some of those findings. I know multi-site pain is different and yeah. there's different challenges to obviously both the care of the patient as well as research with regard to, right, to looking right. at that. From a research perspective, what advice do you have to other researchers with regards to looking at the epidemiology of things like chronic pain and opioid use? Because it can be quite complicated. Yeah, you know, I think the key is sort of, it, it can be quite complicated. So many ways to, to study it. Data sets like the ones I use, sort of the advantages, lots of people, obviously, and really good follow-up, right? Because most people who are insured, uh, I can see everything they do, right? The downside of these data sets is always that there's a lot of things I don't see that are probably important, right? So I don't see pain scores. I kind of, you know, I know diagnosis codes, but sometimes those don't capture the full story. You know, I know that you got an x-ray, but I don't know what it said, for example. And so I think really a challenge is to find ways to integrate, in my mind, sort of the more granular data that you might find in registries or within uh, your own EMR, how can you integrate that with sort of this data, right? Because they both, in my mind, offer sort of, you know, different facets of the issue, right? So registry data, EMR data, obviously have this really nice granular data, but sometimes the follow-up's not so good, right? Because patients might not always come back to you. They may just stop answering the calls if it's a registry. Uh, so really finding some way to integrate the two, I think, would be really helpful down the line because that would allow you to sort of, you know, look at things more granularly and yet follow patients over longer periods of time. So that's sort of one of the challenges and, you know, hopefully something that we can address over time. And in your study, you had mentioned that there have not been a lot of studies like this performed. And the ones that haven't performed, it's, it's kind of equivocal. We don't really have a clear idea yet. Right, right, exactly. So we may, for whatever reason, this hasn't been looked at as much. Uh, I mean, we're glad to have made some contribution. But yeah, for whatever reason, prior to us doing it, it wasn't, hadn't been looked at as much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where would you like to see the research go on? Does the, does the topic of, I guess, the early physical therapy interest you particularly? Yeah, well, I think, well, I would say more generally anything that sort of, you know, there are so many things that we are trying to do to address the issue of transitions to chronic opioid use. So I'm sort of interested more broadly, uh, sort of all the, if you think the entire armamentarium that exists that we think may or may not help. Uh, I'm sort of interested in looking at whether it does help. You know, what's the data out there, I guess? Because I think in many cases particularly when it comes to longer-term outcomes, it's, you know, those studies are just hard to do, right? Clinical trial with one-year follow-up, that's, that's very hard to do. So I think there's far less evidence there. And, and, you know, as long as I contribute to that, sort of say, like, these are what, you know, this, just basically evaluate them, right? What works, what doesn't, that's sort of what I'm interested in doing. Yeah. And these data sets can be harder for us, I guess, in the U.S. because we don't have a national healthcare system. So even though 80,000 people, like in your studies, a large amount, 
it'd be nice. Like, I mean, the VA has more of a, um, yeah, it's different they can access, but we don't really have, yeah, we don't really have that in our country to look at things on a large, large scale. Yeah. I mean, I think it's getting some, you know, medic CMS, for example, is very good. You can get their data as well. So that's helpful, you know, and that's data for Medicaid patients too. So, uh, so it is kind of disparate and, and segregated like that, but I guess, you know, that's out there. I mean, Obviously, the real tough one, and you know, especially when I was looking at substance use disorder and things like that, is going to be people who don't have insurance, right? And those are the hardest people to track in these data sets because they don't have insurance, and that all these data sets are based around that. So I think that's sort of one of the challenges, and that's probably one group that, unfortunately, at least right now, with the data we have, is just not skimmed part of the research. Mm. And then... So when, as we start to wrap up and kind of move on to the end here, should we start to look at this data as like just looking at back pain, just looking at knee pain, just looking at shoulder pain? Would that be helpful? Because I know you had four different groups in, in this study. Well, you know, again, this is where sort of, you know, I talk to my colleagues who know this better clinically because they know what's interesting in a way that, right, I'm, I'm mostly an anesthesiologist, but um, I think the thing about these sites, especially, you know, back pain is most pain is, you know, back, I mean, I think most pain is going to be these four things, particularly back pain, right? And so I think that's sort of at least why we chose that for this paper. I mean, I think those are the four. If you count those four sites, that's probably most pain. Right? Yeah. So that's sort of interesting doing. Yeah. Nicholas Karianis, who works at Stanford, has done a yes. similar paper on, on back pain. And right, right. Yeah, he kind of zoned in on back pain specifically. But yours was more global. And I was like, that's kind of cool because we have more joints that we can talk about. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. Well, one of the advantages of this data is that because the data are so big, you know, I mean, so we chose four common ones. And the nice thing is, you know, if you were to pick sort of more rare pain uh, diagnoses, you know, these data are so big that you can still have, again, so, you know, just it wouldn't be practical, I think, for some rare pain diagnoses to do a clinical trial. You're just not going to be able to find those people, let alone follow them for X number of years. But these data sets allow you to do that. They're just so big, right? I mean, if you look, across millions of Americans, you'll find, you know, even rare things, you know, you still get good numbers, right? So that's one yeah. nice thing about these data sets. I'd love to share some of this work with insurance companies, see if it changes how, you know, they approve. Yeah, it's great. It. Yeah, it. we haven't written on whether it saves money. I mean, that would be the interesting thing, right? Because, you know, what's the ROI, right? I mean, there's, there's the upfront cost of the physical therapy. I mean, so I think that would be an interesting area to study. You know, it'd probably be... It's hard to say how it would turn out, right? Because physical therapy, you know, costs money. And, you know, we find opioid reductions, but opioid drugs are cheap, right? So it's not sort of a direct effect, right? Probably if all I looked at was phys- the cost of physical therapists for the savings in opioids, it's not saving money in that sense. So I think you'd have to think more globally about sort of are you reducing ER visits, are you reducing, you know, inpatient, because those things are going to be very expensive, right? But that's definitely a good point, setting something to do down the line to see whether, you know, these things save money. Addiction, mental health issues that come up with obviously right, addic- right. addiction that you can look at right. and start to put that together and say, okay, 10 to 15 visits of physical therapy could be cheaper than opioids plus right. all the other care that goes along with it. Right. I think that's important because as you know, physical therapy, the coverage is always not always sort of the best, right? Wide variation, I think, across insurers, right, as to what they will cover and for yeah. how long and for how much, right? So yeah. I think they'll have a, have a policy relevance. In, in your study, actually, did you mention how many average visits someone received for physical therapy? I think I, I did. Think I don't remember off the top of my head. I think that's... Uh, <laughs> I know. We get into the nitty-gritty there to pull yeah, that. Um, let me see. I'd have to go look. I think we did look at the number of visits. Is that in the main paper here? Let me 
Oh yeah, so sorry, that is table one. So uh, you know, uh, you can look. Uh, so for shoulder, it looks like it was six sessions in the first ninety days. Mostly, basically, looking around five to six sessions for the people who did um, get physical therapy, about five to six sessions. Mm, interesting, five or six sessions. So they so if they're coming twice a week. They're getting about the three second. weeks of physical therapy. Yeah, exactly. So, which is so interesting because when you think of a chronic patient that may just be kind of the tip of the iceberg for them. They may need to obviously come for a longer right. period of time and maybe with longer physical therapy, those uh, MME equivalents may be even less. Right, right. Well, I mean, again, limitations of the data we have is we can't really, well, first of all, I mean, all these patients, it was a new diagnosis. In that sense, it was acute. You could say we didn't follow them long enough to make it chronic, we only followed them for a year. Yeah. So I guess we don't know ultimately became chronic, but certainly it's going to be the case that some of these people, it's, it's an acute pain of some sort, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Eric, I love this study. We'll link to it again. It's in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Association of Early Physical Therapy with Long-Term Opioid Use Among Opioid Naive Patients with Musculoskeletal Pain, 2018. And of course, we'll stay connected and follow your other work because if you're doing this kind of work, it obviously interests Many people with pain, physical therapists, psychologists who are interested in figuring out how can we use right. cognitive behavioral strategies to help people with pain. How yeah. can we learn more about you and stay connected to your research? Oh, yeah. Well, I think uh, easiest way probably just my uh, Stanford website. Uh, is it easier if I just email it to you or would you, should I? Uh, would you yeah, we can include any links we can include there, but you're on the, you're a part of the, obviously the Stanford uh, pain management team, correct? I am. I don't know if my website's with them. Um, I think my website is profiles.stanford.edu slash Eric hyphen son. So I think that's sort of where I list all my papers. And that's probably the easiest way to sort of catch up with the stuff I'm doing. I don't really do blogs or Twitter. Maybe I should, but uh, <laughs> it's a conversation for another line. <laughs> well, now, now you do. <laughs> now I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll link to your um, Stanford profile so everyone can, okay. can check it great, out. Great. And I'll, I'll find you on other, other means in, in PubMed and we'll link to that so people can see. Okay, great, great. Because it's All great. Right. It's obviously great work. We appreciate you doing some work looking at physical therapy and opioids. And obviously, if you're a physical therapist or you're someone interested in curbing the use of opioids, make sure you share this podcast out with your friends and family. I'm Dr. Joe Tata, and we'll see you next week on the podcast. For listening to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata. To subscribe to the podcast and learn more, visit IntegrativePainScienceInstitute.com. That's IntegrativePainScienceInstitute.com. Sign up to receive weekly updates, leave a review on iTunes, and share this episode with your friends.